Hey, this is Liz, and in today's feed, you're getting something a little bit different. You're not actually getting an episode of Satellite Sisters. You're getting an episode of a new show called I Hate My Boss, and it's something that I'm working on with a co-host. Now, I've already confessed all of this on Satellite Sisters. If you listen to the last couple of episodes, you will hear me talking to Leon and Julie about the new show, but I also wanted to introduce you to the person I'm cheating on my sisters with. And he is a true satellite mister. Larry Seal, welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. Liz, I'm glad to be here. So, um, okay, you know, my sisters always call me the bossy one, which I suppose is how I got the gig on I Hate My Boss. And some of my friends call me Mr. Bossy Pants. They do? They do. (laughs) This is why we get along so well, Larry. We both have the bossy gene. (laughs) But just so I can take this back to Leanne and Julie, what are good synonyms for a bossy that would be a little bit more positive about me? Mm, queenly. <laughs> queenly. Oh, that sounds majestic. Ministerial. <laughs> what else? I top? think the chances of my sisters referring to me as either queenly or ministerial are pretty slim. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just talk about you. So uh, what do you do and what brought you to I Hate My Boss? Well, Liz, first, I'm just so thrilled to be working with you. You are such a generous partner, and I'm, I'm learning a ton, and it's, we're going to have a lot of fun. We are already having fun. Um, I'm, a, I'm a leadership and communication coach. The title is executive coach, which means I do one-on-one work with leaders in the business world uh, around all the people and communication issues that come up in the workplace. You know, honestly, I could have used this a long time ago, but it's too late for me now. <laughs> now I'm, I should have gotten advice 15, 20 years ago. Now we're just giving it. So on I Hate My Boss, uh, it's a really fun show. We're doing a bunch of things that have never been done before. One is we're giving advice about workplace situations. So you can call in. You can reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter at I Hate My Boss Show, um, and we will give you advice. Now, Maybe from Satellite Sisters, you already hear plenty from me about what I think about everything. But I guarantee you, Larry actually has some interesting things to say. He has fascinating things to say. <laughs> fascinating. But also on I Hate My Boss, we have a fictional workplace called Pen and Pencil with some characters that may feel familiar to you, even though we made them up. Like, you know, the passive aggressive chief operating officer. The uh, the assistant in the office who's always got the side hustle going. It's funny to listen to, isn't it? It's really funny. My favorite. My favorite is D, the former employee who marries the chairman, and now she spends her time on his yacht. Yes. So so we've got advice for you. We've got scripted comedy for you. And then another way you can work yourself into I hate my boss is a segment in every show called You Can't Make This Up, and this is where we will have your True life tales of the craziest things going on in your workplace. We have already heard a ton of beauties. So uh, they're, they're really fun and interesting to talk about and to just to listen to. So enjoy the sample episode of I Hate My Boss. If you like it, please go subscribe wherever you normally subscribe to your podcast. Wherever you're getting your Satellite Sisters, you're also going to want to get your I Hate My Boss. And maybe we can wrap this up, Larry, with our sign off from the actual show. So remember, your workplace may be crazy, but you don't have to be. 
So here's something I've been reflecting on, Liz. Back in the late 80s, I was in my first real job. I was working in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which, by the way, is a long cry from Tucson where I grew up. And my job was public sector appraiser, which meant – I don't even know what that is. That no one knows what it is. I worked for a company that went out and inventoried things for cities and counties, and I did it for insurance appraisals. So you like walked through rooms and counted things? I counted things. Okay. Liz. All right. Everybody has to start somewhere. So one day my boss comes to my desk and he says, hey, the VP of sales wants to see you downstairs. And I was shocked because I didn't even know the VP of sales had any idea who I was. So I walked down there and long story short, it was great news. He offered me a job. I couldn't believe it. I was going to get a chance to move to San Francisco, move into sales. My base salary was doubling. There was no more snow. And I was not going to be counting desks and chairs. (laughs) I was so so thrilled. And then the bomb drops. He says, nobody who works for me wears a beard. I had a gorgeous, stunning, face-enhancing beard at that time. Oh, Larry. I walked out of his office. I was furious. I walked back into his office the next morning, and he smiled and said, I see you accept. I shaved. And what I decided was, look, it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to be angry. I'm not going to get something I want. But I'm not going to let my emotional reaction stand in the way of me being able to change the course of my career. And so I sucked it up and I shaved. So cut off your beard to spite your face. I cut off my beard to save my career. (laughs) I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Larry Seal. On today's episode of I Hate My Boss, fear, change, and six glasses of (laughs) rosé. From Wondery, this is I Hate My Boss, workplace drama, comedic relief. I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Larry Seal, and welcome to our first episode. Our show's here to help everybody, managers, employees, everybody in between, and feeling more fulfilled and feeling more satisfied in that crazy, confusing place called work. You know, it's my experience in the many different kinds of jobs I've had and all the places that I've worked. The essential difference between really enjoying what you do at the office every day, loving your job, is the people. The people you are working around, do you communicate well with them? Do you collaborate well? Are they people that you would kind of be friends with? The people dynamics can set the whole rest of it. You bet. And when people talk about leaving their jobs, the thing that always is the hardest for them is, I don't want to leave the people here. Yeah, I would say that some of the best friends in my life I've made at work, but also some of the most annoying people in my life also at work. Completely agree. So where do you go for career advice, actually, when you need direction or perspective? Your coworkers, they're not neutral. They have their own angles, right? And your family and friends, they don't know. I mean, they try to be helpful, but they don't really know because they are not in the trenches with you. So that's where we come in. I've spent many years running marketing at global organizations, big ones including Nike, the Oprah Winfrey Network, and National Geographic Channels. So I've been in many cultures. I've had many bosses. They've been good and bad, mainly good. I've probably been both good and bad. (laughs) I also hope mainly good. Plus, in a whole other side of my life, I run a media company with my sisters. We produce podcasts and books as the Satellite Sisters. And, you know, family businesses... That's a completely different kind of dynamic than you would get, say, in a corporate workplace. And some of you listening no doubt know that because you're in a family business. Larry? Well, my official job title is executive coach, which means I help leaders in business around communication and interpersonal issues. I 
do work at small startups as well as big companies like Google and Disney. And what I'm looking to do is help people be happier and more satisfied in their workplaces, no matter if you're starting out or whether you're uh, a senior leader. So on I Hate My Boss, you'll hear from me and Larry, but then we'll have other people drop in too, special guests who have their own takes on specific issues. For instance, later in this episode, I talked to executive recruiter Jim Citrin. He leads Spencer Stewart's North American CEO practice. He really knows what he's talking about, Larry. So before we get started, though, let's play a little bit of a game. You know, the title of our show is I Hate My Boss. If you're listening, you might have listened because you saw that title and thought, yes, <laughs> they're Been talking there. about me. Uh, so we recently did a survey to see how people really feel about their boss. And it turns out most of us like them. The ones that hate their boss total less than 10%. Wow. You know, that makes sense to me. I've had up and down, good and bad, but this minority of times I felt like I was working for someone I didn't really respect or like. Hate is a strong word. I'm glad to hear that stat, actually. I would have said it was a bit higher. That's Well, okay. Well, now let's get into the details because when we changed the language a little bit and asked people if they ever thought or said the words, I hate my boss, in other words, committed the sin in their heart, (laughs) uh, those numbers changed a lot. Take a guess, Larry. Do you think it was 40%, 60%, 80%, or none of the above? Back in school, when I had the multiple choices, I always defaulted to the middle answer. So I'm going to go 60% (laughs) when not sure. And that got you this far in your career, so you (laughs) are sticking with it. Precisely. Look how well that served me. I'm going to go B, 60%. No, the answer is actually 40%. People are generally seeking and finding some satisfaction in the workplace. You know, a lot of people don't like to use the word hate, and I kind of feel that way. So to get a reference, we ask them to compare how they feel about their boss to other things in their life. For instance, which of the following do you hate more than you hate your boss? A specific politician, (laughs) a specific body part, your cable company, or none of the above. Oh, man. Cable company is so tempting. I got to go. I'm going to break my rule. I'm going to go for the last one. Cable company. You're right. That seems obvious. But actually, people hate all of those things more than they hate their boss. So we're happier than we think. But if you're one of those people who does have a problem with your boss, we want to hear about it. And we've got stories on this show from people who we think will make you feel a little bit better. We're all in this together. And every other episode, we'll have a comedy segment set in the world of a fictional ad agency called Pen and Pencil. You'll probably see some of the drama and issues you see at your job, and you might recognize some of the people in your life in these characters, for better or worse. Now, Jonathan Penn is the founder of the company. He doesn't show up much, but he's usually at the center of the gossip. And that got heightened when he married D. Penn, a former employee half his age. Oh, that's a real singer. Lisa Hamilton, she's the CEO at Pen and Pencil. She is a high-conflict person, and she likes to keep people on their toes. But fear is a fantastic motivator. And then there's Chuck Stone. He's our COO. He's risk-averse, and he's passive-aggressive. I don't think it's cowardly. I think it's smart. He doesn't have a lot of power in the agency, except that he does have the power to make sure nothing happens without his say-so. Ivan Mercado is the creative director. I have big plans for my Peace, Love, Windex campaign. It'll spread to every international market and take over the world. I got to say, I've met Ivan Mercado many times in real life. He is charming, 
but he is a total egomaniac. It is me, me, me with Ivan. Then there's Stacey Wiseman, the accounts director. It's cute, but she should have been working. She is smart. She's dependable. She is really focused on her career, and she's great at it. So she has this love-hate thing happening with Ivan. I guess they need each other. I don't know. <laughs> Matt Starr is a copywriter. I took this job as a safety job to pay bills while I worked on my stand-up. And like an idiot, I just worked the job, which I'm now losing. Everybody likes him. He took the job as a backup. He really wants to be a comedian. But now he is spending so much time working because he's good at it and he just cares too much. Jessica Taylor is the office assistant who is the queen of the side hustle. Here's a flyer for Honeycomb Island this Saturday. Bring all your crunchy granola friends and their money. She knows how to be liked and feared. And she also knows there is more to life than work. Now today, something's up at the office. No one seems to know what's really going on and the rumors are spreading like wildfire. Let's take a listen. And then Liz and I will be back with a discussion about how you can best deal with change and fear in your work environment. A quick warning, there'll be some language in the segment that may not be appropriate if you're listening around kids. I'll be the account director for the whole campaign. Very excited to be working with you again. I look forward to seeing you in the office. Great. Thank you, Stacy. Oh, and Ivan will be at the meeting, right? Ivan is the creative director, so yes, he will be. Good, good. Quick follow-up. Is he single or... Um... I'll rephrase. Is he down? Stacy. I'll look into that. Uh, talk to you later. Ivan, you were supposed to be on that call. I'm sorry, but I just saw the most wondrous photographs. It was of a cat whose eyes bulged from his head, but his tongue hangs so comically. So you're late because you were looking at pictures of Lil Bub on the internet, and you think that's okay? Yes, that's his name, Lil Bub. He's so full of life. Well, the call's over. We covered what sort of media they should buy and whether you were single. Facebook ads. And I always swipe right. That makes sense. Well, that's all I have. Do you have anything? I do. Remember? I am taking the creative team for a quarterly mobile offsite brainstorm. Oh, no. Are you seriously going back to Sir Speedy's go-karts and games over in Jersey? I am simply doing what I can to keep our company's muses inspired. Sir Speedy's is very inspiring. Hey, I'm not going to tell you how to waste company money. I'm not your boss. Correct. We're simply colleagues with a mutual appreciation for Lil Bub. What? I never said that. I'm actually more of a Marnie the Dog kind of girl. Listen, it's up to you, but I would reschedule that go-kart trip. Jonathan and Dee Penn are coming in this afternoon. Uh, really? Jonathan hasn't been in the office in six months. Why is he coming? I was hoping you knew. If he hasn't told either of us, it's probably best not to tell the whole office. So, please don't? Oh, no, 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 no. So, we're done? Uh, meeting adjourned. Jessica, are you in the middle of something? I have an errand I need you to run. Yeah, hold on a second, Ivan. I'm busy. You don't look busy. You look like you're just browsing Facebook. Oh, I'm busy. I have to set up this invite to Honeycomby Island. What is Honeycomby Island? It's an alternative beekeeping festival I run in Coney Island each month. It's for people who are into organic honey. Or, you know, for chicks and dudes who just like bees. You're a beekeeper as well as an assistant? Wow. 
How very entrepreneurial of you. Yeah, I got Elon Musk's biography from Audible and listened to it on the train. I figured that guy's got the whole space thing covered, so I'm going to try for bees. Now I get that cheddar by making that honey. That is very industrious of you. Gotta have my side hustles, man. Working here doesn't pay enough alone. Well, I'm sorry to hear you feel underpaid. Yeah, I'm broke, but I also downloaded the subtle art of not giving a fuck from Audible. So go ahead and underpay me. I don't give a fuck. Ah, another audiobook. I prefer to read my books more efficiently. I skim the synopsis on Amazon until I get the point. Hmm? Okay, cool story. What did you come over here for? I need you to stock the office fridge with those fruit drinks with chia seeds in them. Oh, really? Why is that? No, no reason. They're just delicious. Oh, really? Because last time you made me get those was like last March, right before Jonathan Penn came into the office. They're his favorite. Is he coming in today? What? No. No, you're putting words in my mouth. I simply desire the refreshing taste of a beverage that has plant seeds in it. I said nothing more. I know a lie when I hear a lie. You're lying. I am not. And don't tell anyone that I said anything more. I didn't. I only wish to drink engorged seeds and fruit juice. Okay, you got it. I won't say you said anything. Thank you. I'll be in my office if you have any questions. If I have any questions about chia seed drinks, nah, man, I think I got this. Hey, Matt. Sup, Jess? Do those clinking bottles mean we're doing champagne or martinis or something? <laughs> I know you'd love to work at Sterling Cooper, bud, but look at your computer screen. You're writing copy for adult diapers, so no, this isn't alcohol. Wait. Those are chia drinks. Is Jonathan coming in? Who else drinks this crap? Oh, God, if Jonathan's coming in, it's got to be some big announcement. Uh, are we getting fired? I don't know about that, man. It's probably... I think we're getting fired. Oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm getting fired. i got to update my resume. You're overreacting, dude. Mm, easy for you to say. You've got, like, five or six other gigs on the side. Speaking of, here's a flyer for Honeycombe Island this Saturday. Bring all your crunchy granola friends and their money. I took this job as a safety job to pay bills while I worked on my stand-up. And like an idiot, I just worked the job, which I'm now losing. I haven't been to an open mic in months. I have no idea when I last updated my stand-up website. Whoa, is that your website? It looks like a GeoCities page from the 1996. The 1996? You're 26. How do you know what a GeoCities page looks like? Oh, please. I read nostalgia lists on BuzzFeed all day at work, and so do you. Wait, wait, why is there a clip art of a microphone with eyes and a mouth on your page? When you click on it, it plays a wave file of one of my jokes. It hasn't been updated in years. I am tired of hearing news about Iraq. I want to hear news about Shaq! <laughs> Can we do that, George W. Bush? Get off the stage! Wait, why didn't you edit the heckler out? I thought it would be good for posterity. No, 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 no. That's not a good joke. The heckler's right. Damn it! I'm no good at comedy and I'm getting fired. I'm so screwed. What's wrong? Why would you be screwed? Oh, hey, Chuck. Didn't hear you walk up. I have very soft feet. What'd you just say? Why is Matt screwed? Oh, no reason. I just... What yeah. is on your computer screen? Does your computer have a virus? No, it's an old website I made before I worked here. I see. And does Jessica have chia drinks? Uh-oh. Jonathan's coming in, isn't he? Oh, that's bad. Hang on, Chuck. We don't know why. Don't worry. I've planned for this sort of thing. All right. 
I sent everyone a PDF of a fake Excel worksheet. Please put it on your desktop to look busy when Jonathan arrives. I'm a copywriter. I don't work with spreadsheets. Oh, God, Lisa's coming out. Don't screw me on this one, okay, Matt? Just do it. Oh, hey, Lisa. <laughs> We're just hard at work. What's up? I know that to be false, Matt. Chuck just sent out his cowardly look busy PDF to the whole office. You are not busy. I don't think it's cowardly. I think it's smart. Oh, Chuck, if you have something to say, use your big boy voice, please. Oh, I said... Not now, Chuck. I'm speaking. May I have everyone's attention, please? Clearly, you're all speculating about why Jonathan and D-Pen are coming to the office today. As your CEO, I think it's my duty to tell you what I know. Also, I'd like you to stop freaking out so I can focus on my work. Jonathan has sold 51% of pen and pencil to a global agency. So, congratulations are in order. Your hard work has led to a successful sale of the company. I will now take questions. Oh, oh me, me, me. Yes, yeah. Ivan. Do you know which agency we've been sold to? I do not. Huh. Remarkably, Jonathan didn't think it important to tell his CEO that. All I know is that they're a multinational and have their headquarters in another country. Yes, Stacy? Does this mean that some of our existing clients are about to become complex? Almost certainly. I trust you'll navigate the transition accordingly. Yes, Matt? So this is good, right? If we were sold, it's because our work was good. That means we're doing valuable work and there's nothing to fear. Oh, what a ridiculous thing to say. Of course there's something to fear. Employees get axed in mergers all the time. But fear is a fantastic motivator. So please, tell everyone in your departments they have much to fear. I hope you have a productive day. That is all. A merger. I can't believe it. I know. Isn't it wonderful? Just imagine all the global travel I'll embark on. What's a more daring culinary adventure? Whale jerky in Iceland or snake wine in Cambodia? I heard the snakes poop in the wine, so I may pass when we go there. Being sold to a foreign company doesn't mean we'll be globetrotting. It's usually just more annoying conference calls. Can it be both? The corporate card will be our passport to exotic lands. I'll woo our international clients with my glorious creative ideas and passionate Brazilian lust for life, and you'll do your waspish white lady account director thing to convince them we are the frugal choice. I can't tell if that's racist or not. It'll be like the glory days of the Age of Exploration, when brave men discover the new world. We shall be just like them, except we'll sell commercials and not slaves. That's definitely racist. Oh, don't worry. I'm one of the brown people they try to take out. I'd like to get back to figuring out which of our accounts are about to be conflicts. How can you do that without knowing whom we've been sold to? Well, I did some Googling and found four big foreign agencies that have been swallowing up smaller agencies. There's Egalitas Group in Paris, Warner Westheimer in Frankfurt, Inchin Denshin in Tokyo, and J. Thomas Smithson in Sydney. We should show our astuteness by setting up a spread of food for Jonathan when he arrives. A spread that represents the potential nation of our new bosses. There's a Japanese-French fusion place nearby. It is very expensive, and the portions are very small. I love it. I order from them all the time. I'll do it right now. Done. Now to the Australians and the Germans. I have a blue apron box at home with America's lamb sausages in it. We'll just cook that and say it's kangaroo schnitzel. You're gonna cook it here? Like, 
in the office microwave? Jessica, send a courier to get my blue apron box from my house. No can do, Ivan. Jonathan and Dee are coming up right now. All right, everyone. Come out to the lobby and be ready to cheer as soon as he comes in. Hello, pen and pencil. Hit it, boys. Oh, wow, later, host. Welcome, Jonathan. Uh, why is there... Ahem. <clears throat> How about a welcome, D? hmm? Oh, sure, fine. Hello, D. Jonathan, why is there a Bavarian Oompa band playing behind you as we speak? <laughs> well, you might ask. <laughs> to celebrate the fact that Pen and Pencil has joined the Frankfurt, Germany-based family of Werner Westheimer. Yes! <laughs> Together we will be WWPP. You know that won't pass trademark, right? Because WPP already exists. Oh, don't be a wet blanket. We'll deal with that later. Congratulations, everyone. Thank you for all your tireless work. Oh, you're welcome, Jonathan. And obviously, WW's biggest clients create conflicts with PP's clients. So, I'm happy to help you navigate this transition, should you need my assistance. Thank you, Dee, but you haven't worked in this office since you attained your career goal of marrying Jonathan. So, how about we just leave this to the professionals? Oh, oh that's a real singer, Lisa. Your signature sense of humor is on point. That was not a joke. Anywho, Dee and I will be celebrating the merger by sailing around the world in my new 50-foot yacht. And you guys will be celebrating by undergoing an audit. I'm sorry, Werner Westheimer is doing due diligence on us? Don't worry, it's just standard practice. Just to make sure no money is being wasted at PP. Uh, are we... Uh, are, are, uh, I'm sorry, can we get the Uber band to stop playing? I can't hear you. Yes, their piece builds in volume, but I wouldn't want to insult their culture by asking them to stop. Also, I paid them for a full 15 minutes. Well, uh, what does the due diligence entail? What? What does the due diligence entail? Oh, nothing major. Audits of record keeping, uh, interviews with staff, checking to be sure all receipts are accounted Stacey, for. Stacy, may I see you in my office for a moment? This due diligence sounds quite serious, right? Yeah, Ivan, I'd say so. They're talking about the sort of audit that leads to all our finances being scrutinized. I got let go from my last job in one of those. Oh, God, really? Did you do anything wrong? No, they just decided my job wasn't necessary. They thought I was redundant, so they cut me. I think this means we're headed for something like that here. They're going to be looking at every dollar we spend very, very closely. Every dollar? Look, if anyone asks who ordered the French-Japanese food, tell them it was Matt. Okay, we're back. And boy, there are people at Pen and Pencil that, that, that need our help. There's some urgency here, Larry. Have you ever <laughs> seen anything like this in real life? Well, uh, unfortunately, I have. I think probably most of us have. I know there was a, a company that I know quite well that was getting ready to go through a merger. And the new leader showed up. And uh, an employee had prepared a laundry list of past insults and decisions and things that had happened that she thought were unfair. She sat down with the new managers and dumped it. I'm Wait, you don't, you don't recommend that? I'm going to recommend not doing that. <laughs> okay. So why was that dumb then? Managers, I mean, like all of us, right? We want, we want solutions. We don't want problems. 
and she just assumed if she was honest and open, and, and I give her credit for that, yeah. she would be heard. But you've got to come in trying to solve something and move forward, not just point out what's wrong. And you may not be surprised, Liz, when the inevitable downsizing came, she was part She of was it. on the list. She was. Overall, for this team, as they look at this situation, everybody freaks out in their own way, right? Like they're immediately looking for work or they think, I'm always safe, whatever. So is there advice you would give to employees that – would apply to everyone, no matter what their freakout factor was. You're right. And the freakout factors can be very different for everybody. I think it's important to understand what's real. In times of change, people have big reactions. And often something that's a two or a three on the Richter scale in reality feels like an eight. So the smart ones, I think, ask questions to understand what's real. What's changed? What hasn't changed? Because the reality for a lot of employees is most of their day-to-day job probably hasn't shifted that much. It's things around the edge. So checking in and understanding that is a really smart move. You know what I find, though, is that you don't know who to ask those questions of because you suspect that your boss might not be your boss anymore. And so you kind of don't, even if you are focused enough to stay with whatever the daily plan is, you just have a lot of uncertainty about who really knows the answers? So yeah, no, that's a tough one. It's a great point. I mean, often the players are very different or they're in different seats. And so what do you suggest for managers? Because I've been that person before. So a department or a company is going through a big change. Your people come to you and basically they want to know what's going to happen. The hardest thing for me as a leader is to admit, like, I don't actually know. We're in this state of ambiguity. There's going to be a lot of flux here. I can't even say your job is safe. Right. And that's all people really want to hear. I think they just want to hear your job is safe. Oh, I think you're right. So what would you have told me years ago when I faced that dilemma? Sure. So I'd say a couple of watchwords here. One, it is impossible to over communicate as a manager, as a leader during one of these circumstances. As you said, people want answers any answers to anything. And so it's impossible to tell people too much. And one of the dangers is a manager will say, well, look, we had a town hall. We made an announcement. We shared what we've got. We even sent out an email afterwards that, that yeah, laid everything out. Yeah, we sent out an email. Yeah, we, just, just go, go read the email. It's got all the answers in it. It's really dangerous. Look, if organizations didn't need managers to translate those messages, trust me, they would not have them. Mm-hmm. You know, change really happens person to person, relationship to relationship. And so what I would say to those managers is communicate often, but be honest. Look for the positives in it and don't make them up. Sometimes there's a lot of win-win and sometimes there's not much. Be honest about it. That'll buy you credibility with people. It builds trust and you can work through the changes together. In my experience, the people that freak out the most fall into two buckets. One, the people that really have a lot to hide. You know, there are, there are the people in any organization that, let's admit it, they probably are dead weight or they've had some boss who stopped managing them so long ago that they do go to the movies in the afternoon. And so those people are afraid that they're going to get busted and their cushy deal is going to go away. I have very limited sympathy for those people. But then there's the other people, the people that really do have a lot to fear because they have a delicately balanced work-life situation. Like I think of working mothers that I've known where they think, oh, my God, like I barely have all the plates spinning right now. If too much changes, the plates are going to start falling. You know, I've had employees who are trying to finish college at night or getting an MBA or some kind of advanced training. So, again, any upset in 
even their schedule, never mind whether they have a boss or not, actually does threaten the way they are managing their lives day to day. So there's loads of anxiety and lots of it is for perfectly good reasons. Absolutely so. I mean, look, we are biological beings and change tends to create anxiety. We like patterns, right? We get up in the morning. We have the same sort of rituals. We tend to do things in the same order. People drive to work. They want to park in the same parking spot, even if it doesn't have their name on it. And if somebody's in it, they're like, somebody's in my spot. It's ruined yeah, my morning. Yeah, yeah. That's natural. It happens all the time. And so it's kind of become cool to say, hey, look, I love change. I welcome change. People are lying. People are lying. Humans don't love change? No, pe people want change they want. Yeah. But when it comes to saying, hey, would you be okay with if I moved your office from here to here? People start losing their mind. That's so funny that you use that example because that's what I was thinking. The least productive behavior are the people that automatically start worrying about real estate. And I'm just <laughs> amazed how much emotional energy people spend on, you cannot move my office. I remember one time I was actually at an ad agency in New York that was being acquired, and we were on 58th Street, which we liked. The other agency was on 33rd Street. <gasps> Nobody wanted to move there. So all anyone wanted to talk about is, I am not going to 33rd Street, no matter what they do. It just didn't seem like the best use of our energy, right? You bet. You bet. <laughs> Perfect example. Does your organization organization or your boss thrive on causing fear? Or if there's a big change coming in your office right now that's freaking you out, we really do want to hear about it. Tell us about your dilemma about fear or change and give us plenty of details because it's all in the details. We'll do our best to help you through it. So leave us a voicemail at 424-224-5711 or send us your questions on Twitter or on our Facebook page at I Hate My Boss Show. Joining our conversation now is really an expert on how to deal with change in the workplace. Jim Citrin is one of the world's leading executive recruiters and heads Spencer Stewart's North American board and CEO practice. He's also written seven books on leadership and management, including The Five Patterns of Extraordinary Careers. Jim, welcome to I Hate My Boss. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> I assume, because you've been at this for a long time, over multiple decades, you've met all kinds of leaders, many great ones and probably some bad ones. Our show may be called I Hate My Boss, but our goal is actually to stamp out bad bossery. So you've written a lot about what you call benevolent leadership. That sounds like an excellent alternative to being a bad boss, Jim. What is that? Liz, benevolent leadership is a concept that came about in some extensive research that I did a number of years ago trying to differentiate between the most successful business leaders and the most successful executives in their careers and everyone else. Now, counterintuitively, and as you say in the title of this podcast, I Hate My Boss, there is a prevailing wisdom in business that you have to be mean or you have to be difficult in order to be a driver of performance and therefore an effective business leader. And is but that in true? Fact, it, it is not true. It is what a lot of people believe but in fact, the most extraordinary leaders are the ones who can tap deeply into hearts and minds and create the kind of passion that leads to people performing at their best. And there's a whole series of ways that you don't have to be a CEO to be a benevolent leader. You can be a 
an intern, you can be a middle-level person or someone on their way up and exercise that pattern of successful and extraordinary careers. Yeah, one of the things that you write about, a piece of advice you get from those leaders is take most of the blame, give most of the credit. So I just want to express a little bit of skepticism about that. I know it's an awesome idea, but I thought it was all about being brand you, being outspoken, being the kick-ass kind of leader that says what you want and gets what you want. Those two notions are not necessarily at odds with one another. The most successful employees and those that break through to the top are those that have a strong point of view about something. But then you can absolutely be about brand you, but part of brand you can be, oh, she is amazing at giving others credit. If you genuinely give someone the opportunity to work on important things and they do a good job and then recognizing them, it is the most wonderful self-reinforcing system, training people up front so they can do it and then helping them along. Okay, Jim, I got to say, there's no evidence that anyone at our fictional agency, Pen and Pencil, has read any of your books or learned any of the lessons of benevolent leadership. Because we hear Lisa Hamilton, the CEO, say fear is a great motivator. And like that was never my MO as a leader. But obviously there are people in the working world that roll this way. Does that ever work? Is fear ever a good motivator? I actually believe that in the short term, fear, yes, can be a powerful motivator because we all have the famed fight or flight buttons in our brains and adrenaline rush that can drive to much more intense kind of activity. But there's no question in my mind, at least, that over the even medium term, much less long term, fear is corrosive. Fear is energy sapping. Fear breaks down trust. Fear breaks down all the things that let great people do their best work over time. I am totally with you on that. I mean, I've always felt like one of the main parts of my job as a leader is to talk people off the ledge to make them understand that the future is very ambiguous. We live in a time of such dramatic change in any working environment, whether at a big corporation or a startup or a restaurant or whatever. So the leaders need to try to tamp down the fear so they can get the best possible contributions out of all of the people. Every individual at any level and it's easy to say this, it's hard to do this. There's what you experience, but then it's how you deal with what's coming at you. And I'm sure many of your listeners know this, that there's a space between what the input is and then how you react to that input. And exactly. in that space, yeah. we can take a breath, we can say, okay, how am I going to react? It's all in the reaction where we have the power and where every individual has more control over their destiny than they may believe. There are a series of pieces of advice that I give to people who are working in an organization that are going through a lot of change, whether it's a company about to be sold or merge or being restructured. Number one is adding value first. If you always are adding value, you are going to be in a much stronger position than if you are just playing a political game. The extent to which you can focus on making others around you successful means that you have a series of advocates out there. They might be your peers, they might be your bosses, they might be your subordinates. That is going to be your best protection from being made redundant or laid off or something. You add value, you make others look good. The others are advocating for you rather than you having to say, hey, look at all the things that I've done. But at the same time, 
you do have to be aware that in times of change, restructuring, sometimes you have the opportunity to stay with it and other times you don't. So, Jim, what book would you recommend for the team at Pen and Pencil to read right now? Of your leadership career building books, what's your top tip? Well, having studied the organization chart of Pen and Pencil, and you have a lot of people in their 20s and 30s, I would actually guide them to the career playbook, which is about how careers work today. But part three is everything we're talking about here, which is how to thrive. And it's the importance of relationships. It's the importance of benevolent leadership. Jim Citrin, thanks so much for your advice today. Wonderful. Thank you, Liz. So Larry, what's your perspective on what Jim had to say about dealing with change? Well, I thought he was spot on when he made the comment that fear can absolutely create short bursts of productivity that look really, really positive. But over time, there's a real decay and it can create all kinds of morale problems. That, that strikes me as spot on. One thing that he writes about that we didn't have time to talk about is he describes how to tell if you're in an environment of benevolent leadership, which I think is really important because, you know, it's not just that the leader needs to be this way or do these things, but you, when you're interviewing for a job, I always tell people, you need to be interviewing the company and really think about, is this a place I want to work? And I think most people go into interview situations just completely focused on wanting to land the gig, right? Like all they care about is I'm going to get this job and they're caring less about, do I want this job? When he described the signs, I thought these were good. He said, information and authority flow freely. Honesty abounds. People feel free to question authority without retribution. Creativity reigns. And the members of the team are as accountable to each other as they are to the leader. I'm not sure how you tell that in an interview situation, Mm. but you can tell as you talk to people, particularly at the people who are going to be at your level, how they relate to each other, whether they feel like it's an open and honest environment. That is something that you need to keep in your mind as much as, oh, my God, am I impressing this potential boss that I'm talking to? In the end, your happiness and fulfillment at work comes from being in a place where the people relate well to each other, respect each other, and you have to be taking the measure of that right from the very beginning. It comes across differently when you're there for that interview and you're just trying to land the gig, as you said, versus really trying to figure out, is this a place where I want to work, where I want to spend my time, where I can bring my best effort? That comes across. They feel that and they start trying harder. You know what? I made that terrible mistake one time. I took a job that was totally wrong for me. And so it's because I made this mistake in my late 20s that it is seared into my brain. I was at an agency. I was offered a job on the client side. I thought, oh, that's where I want my career to go. I want to be the client. So I worked hard and I got the job. And then once I got there, it was just such a completely dysfunctional place that My third day on the job, I remember going home that night, calling a friend of mine and saying, I have made the most horrible mistake. (laughs) I do not want to work here. I don't know if it's too late to go back to my old job. I just like, it never dawned on me to like take the temperature of the organization until I made that mistake. And guess what? 11 months later, I left that job to go to a place that I loved forever. I learned the hard way, but that's what I recommend. You need to look for the signs. Maybe even things we call the red flags. Red flags. So every episode, we're going to have these things we call red flags. And they're bad behaviors. Sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes you got to look a little bit. But they indicate stuff you better watch out for. So if you think about it, it's like being on the first date and you're out with someone, you're out at a restaurant, 
and you're watching them treat the waiter or waitress really badly, red flag. <laughs> right there. Run, do not walk. Indeed. Exactly. Okay, I'm with Indeed. you. Now I know what you mean. So the kind of things you want to pay attention to, you want to notice, and you want to proceed with caution, keep your eyes open, and look to be able to handle it skillfully and aware. So Liz and I are going to call these out as we go through the episodes, and we want you to do the same thing. We want to hear about your actual experiences, red flags that you've either heeded or have run right through and been smacked in the face by them, and call them out to us. Yeah, here's one I ran right through, which back at that job I was just talking about, people crying in their cubicles. Red flag. Red flag. Yeah, red, red flag. Red flag. Good call. I know that's more obvious. You've got the more subtle approach. But I didn't even pay attention to that, Larry. So one of the red flags that I saw was around Ivan's listening, which I think is abominable in about six different ways. Misha, can you play that clip? A merger. I can't believe it. I know. Isn't it wonderful? Basically, he ignores her. Mm-hmm. He misses the chance to respond to her emotional reaction, and he brings the focus right back to him. There's a couple of red flags right there. Well, it's revealing about him, right, Indeed. that he doesn't really listen to people or read or understand them. People who are overly self-focused and are not really fully paying attention to others are dangerous not only because they're not going to pick up on and care for you, but they're also going to miss key information. So if you've got somebody who's a really poor listener, you've got to be really thoughtful about when you communicate with them. Mm-hmm. Because you may have something really important you need them to hear or carry someplace else. And if they're not fully engaged, they're just going to miss it. Right. And that's good advice because that goes both ways. That's true if you are a manager trying to communicate to someone who reports to you. But also, if you have a boss who you think is a bad listener, you need to be conscious of that too. Making sure you're actually communicating the information that you think you are, but you may not be. Okay, Larry, that's a good one. How about under the umbrella of benevolent leadership? Anything else you saw at pen and pencil that is a red flag for you? Lisa's almost joy saying, yes, go tell people there's plenty to fear. Uh, That's not so subtle. And it's an intriguing one because there are lots of very productive cultures over the years that have had a lot of fear in them. I picture Apple. Right. For years and years, Steve Jobs was not an easy boss. He was difficult to be around because of his brilliance, because of his temper. Um, But he wasn't a guy who created fear because he enjoyed it and got off on it, which is what I'm sensing from Lisa. It was simply his personality and his kind of genius quirkiness that created a place where people were fearful to let him down, to disappoint him and to not measure up. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I spent a lot of years in the sports business, so. I look at coaches that operate that way, and some coaches are total yellers, and others are not. So, no, I don't want to go play for Bobby Knight, but I would be happy to play for Mike Krzyzewski. And part of this is just, what environment do you really see yourself in? Well, and to follow that analogy, I mean, anybody who's played for Mike Krzyzewski will tell you he is not an easy guy to play for, but he's not a yeller and a screamer in the kind of the old school way that Bobby Knight was. Yeah. Okay, so before we go, we want to give you something we're calling You Can't Make This Up. It's because we believe that truth can often be funnier than fiction. So we'll be featuring your audio tales of epic dysfunction. That's what we're asking for. The stories that you usually say for your friends at the bar at night where you say, you cannot believe what happened today. So we have our very first You Can't Make This Up. It's from Owen, who bit off more than he could chew at a New York restaurant. My name is Owen Thomas Sharkey. 
I've worked in salons. I worked at Starbucks was my first job. I have been a bartender and I'm an actor. At a restaurant in Hell's Kitchen, there was uh, an owner that would come in and want a glass of rosé at least six times. And there were some times that it would happen like very early on in the evening and it was just like, hmm, okay. And definitely at that same location, there was one day where this man walked in and there was like this exchange at the bar and it was clear that there was something left in the bathroom and there was money that was left in the bathroom. I later learned that like people get cocaine through this restaurant. I'm just like... <sighs> I've just started working here. Oh, Owen. Okay, I think we can advise without fear of anyone disagreeing that if you're working at a criminal enterprise, you should probably distance yourself from that. But I'd even say the six glasses of rosé, that's a that's a red flag, Larry. <laughs> Four, okay. Six, yeah, clearly okay. over that, the line. That's why your, your professional thing is four glasses of rosé and you're good that's in the workplace. That's why I draw the line. So now we want to hear from you. What kind of weirdness have you had to deal with out there at work? Are you like Owen and you've witnessed drug dealing? <laughs> Do you have a red flag you want to throw or maybe a workplace question we should answer? Send us your questions. Share your dilemmas with us on Twitter, on Facebook. We are at I Hate My Boss Show. Or you can call us. Our phone number is 424-224-5711. Or if you prefer, gag bag 5711. <laughs> if you're listening on a smartphone, just tap the cover art to see the episode notes and you'll find a link to call. You'll also find some links for our sponsors. Please support our show by supporting them. Thank you for listening to I Hate My Boss. You know, this is our first ever episode. Our second episode is already available in your feed. We'd love to hear from you. Please complete a small survey at wondery.com slash survey. If you like what you've heard, we'd love you to give us a five-star rating and review us. And be sure to tell your friends and show them how to subscribe to our podcast. This episode was hosted by me, Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister, and Larry Seal, CEO and founder of Engaged Leadership. The comedy segment was written by Patrick Baker, directed by Drew DeFonso Marks, and edited by Misha Stanton. Ivan was played by Eddie Santiago, Stacy by Karen Vaughn, Lisa by Julie Brister, Jessica by Ego Nawadim, Matt by Justin Michael, Chuck by Spike Spencer, Jonathan by Jim Meskamen, and Dee by Stephanie Shea. The original theme song was composed by Martin Blanco. Produced by Cerise Castle, special consultant Julia Smith. Executive producer Jeffrey Glazer, created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. 